Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We're your weekly uh, Star Trek podcast and it's good to be back. It's my second week in a row returning or second recording uh, returning. Uh, one of your usual hosts, Greg Bosco. And with me as always is Mr. Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hello, hello. I am so glad to be talking with you again. It, it's been great. And we got a lot of Trek stuff to talk about. A lot's been happening. Uh, basically, almost every week or every other week, we've got just more and more Trek news, whether it's about the Picard show or Discovery Season 3. Uh, but before we dive entirely into the new upcoming show, let's talk about some of those leaked images, or even not even leaked. I mean, they were released images from the Picard show, like the uniforms and such. Yeah. Um, so that was from uh, Star Trek Destination, which is a Star Trek convention over across the pond. Um and also an IDW comic book cover. Uh, we got to see Admiral Picard and what Admiral Picard's uniform looks like. And um, we talked a bit about it in the Red Shirts and Runabouts forum group on Facebook, which I'm going to plug here. Facebook.com slash groups slash Red Shirts and Runabouts. Come talk to us about Trek stuff. But um, yeah, what, what did you think about it, Greg? What are your thoughts on this new uniform? I like them because it's uh you can definitely see the the whole influence from Next Generation and obviously DS9 and Voyager, and even though it's a jump from the movies with the gray standard uniforms and even later DS9, it just looks like a modern futuristic Starfleet uniform. So I kind of like the simplicity, mm-hmm. but I also am, I'm also very happy to have, you know, Admiral Picard, you know, legit confirmed. I think that's I think that's long overdue. So. I'm 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 kind of torn on it because I, I agree with you. I think it's a really good looking uniform. I like it a lot. The quality of it, just the material alone, just looks fantastic. Whoever the costume designer is and the people that made it, just it's great. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't guess I don't understand the step back from the first contact insurrection nemesis Dominion War era uniform um, because like those or not like that, that happens. And then this uniform happens and I guess they wanted to revert a bit. I don't know. Like I'm not bothered by it as much as just kind of curious and maybe a little confused. Well, it's kind of like the whole issue that 
some people have one of the issues people had with Star Trek Generations is you had half the cast and crew in the TNG uniforms. You had like half of them in DS9 style uniforms. And, you know, it's fine because it's a movie and you want cool looking uniforms. But at the same time, you're also like, well, Starfleet, even if it's not entirely military, is kind of set up like a military organization. So they're going to want, pardon the pun, uniformity in their uniforms. They're not going to want, <laughs> they're not going to want just random. Right. So it is, you know, I don't even know if they'll even touch on the fact that they you that they went from gray. Uh, you know, I always kind of liked how in TN Next Generation, they would always do throwbacks to the monster maroons. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday's mm-hmm. Enterprise or, you know, Beverly Crusher's husband. Absolutely. Or Pic- Picard's flashback and him mon- in, in the monster maroon. I always thought that was great. I thought that was well done. So we'll see. Yeah. But it does look really good. Um, and yeah, we get to, we do get that full confirmation that at some point he gets that promotion before he retires. And, um, this is, of course is before the show. So I imagine we're going to be seeing this in flashbacks or, or something like that, because by the, the, the time frame the show takes place in, he's retired at that point. So, yeah, I mean, it's possible while not doesn't happen often in real life. It's possible that after he retires, they put his last uniform on display as, the great Admiral Picard, this is the last uniform he wore, or something along those lines. It's an interesting thought. I was assuming they were just going to show like a flashback to... So they've pitched the show as basically the effects... Okay, so in the 2009 Star Trek film, future Spock and the uh, Narada come back from the explosion of Romulus, the destruction of Romulus. And that happens in the prime timeline, the destruction of Romulus. And Picard, apparently, Admiral Picard, heads up the fleet that's like the rescue, the relief fleet, to uh, try and send aid to the Romulans. Um, And that's supposed to – the events of that supposedly – impact what the Picard we know very significantly. They inform this show. So I, I just assumed that we were going to see a flashback to those events, or at least part of those events where he had to make a decision or there was a, an effect that he had not anticipated or something like that. No, it's entirely possible. And it would make sense to tie that way. It also ties in the shows, which, you know, Trek fans really enjoy, mm-hmm. but Something that these uh, that these images and such really show me is they're not kidding around with the Picard show. They're putting a lot of, you know, power and emphasis and quality behind this show so far. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. I There was a, a few moments where I was nervous, like Starfleet headquarters is just the Anaheim Convention Center, you know, and um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and maybe it's just because I've never. I've never been to any of the locations where they filmed Star Trek stuff previously. So since I've been to the Anaheim Convention Center, it just doesn't feel futuristic to me. I don't know. How how did you feel about that? I mean, it's it's the issue that I had with Star Trek 2009 where they're filming like the engine room in a brewery or something. It was Budweiser, actually. Yeah, it was Budweiser. And your brain doesn't pick it up at first, but then then you start thinking of things. You're like, well... What if they're not allowed to come back? <laughs> and, now, and, like, and now they they can't come back and film a sequel or something in there. And it's you, you start figuring out that using real sets in real places is good, but it also has limitations. You know, people from SoCal, Southern California, excuse me, they're going to see that and immediately know, well, that's the Anaheim Convention Center. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've been to a Star Wars celebration or BlizzCon or any of the cons, the major, major ones out there, 
you're going to know exactly where they are. Yeah, I, I think I've been on the escalator that Picard is going down in that trailer. So, um, but in in the group in the Facebook group, uh, the Red Shirts and Runabouts group, we did a poll for favorite uniforms, and I was curious, Greg, before I say the results of our poll, what is your favorite uniform? Oh, it's with that for me, without a doubt, it's the Monster Maroons. I love them. The uh, from the and for those of you who don't know, maybe the nickname Monster Maroon. It's the one from the uh, the Star Trek movies. They were in two two through six, and uh, you see flashbacks throughout the Next Generation of them. Right. So that's you know it's commonly referred to as the Wrath of Khan era uniform as well. Um, but you know it's it isn't a lot of stuff though. You're right. It's, it's two through six, sure, but it's also the beginning of generations, and you see it in not just TNG flashbacks, but even in Voyager. Um, they show up. And so they're definitely very common. Um, well, my favorite actually won the poll. So that made me kind of happy, but it was actually the first contact era, which includes first contact nemesis uh, insurrection, and then the dominion war era. So that's the the black with the gray top. Okay. I mean, those are lovely uniforms and actually the discovery probably is my second, I think. Discovery is really good. Um, so the, your favorite took second place. Discovery took third place, and uh, fourth place was kind of a per, like a. It's not a normal uniform, which is why I was hesitant to to put it on the list. But it's Picard's jacket uniform that he started to wear, like in Darmok. Oh yeah, uh, okay. that leather over jacket with the gray tunic underneath. I always really liked that look. It was just it was kind of casual, but he's wearing a jacket on a starship. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm surprised that the motion picture uniforms weren't voted highly on here. No, man, they uh, <laughs> the, the sweaters. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like looking, I'm looking for the motion picture. The motion picture ones didn't even end up on our list. So, because um, we got for some, uh, let's see, the Enterprise ones from Discovery were next, and then TNG. And then DS9 Voyager Enterprise. That was our full list. Nobody voted for anything else. So <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty solid list. It's hard to it's hard to comp- complain about those choices. Agreed, agreed. But anyway, that's all I got for uniform talk. Well, since uh, but and for those of you who may not know, the last episode we recorded, we're uh, we're in the middle of a series called Prepping for Picard. We're talking about you know the Picard show that's coming up in January. And we've been talking about some of our favorite episodes that have primarily focused on Captain Picard, whether it's because of the plot or just he's uh, a lot of screen time and such. And so for this week, we've got the three episodes we want to discuss are Yesterday's Enterprise, Captain's Holiday, which is a hugely underrated episode, and mm-hmm. Sarek, which is those three episodes. I mean, season three is just filled with amazing content i like three four and five there's so many good episodes in those seasons yeah i mean the three is really where the show comes into its own right and i mean even the production knew it they got better uniforms better props better special effects the stories became more ambitious they started having more fun with it um the first two seasons i think allowed them to start just coming into their own right here yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I think these three episodes really kind of build on the Picard character to that we already started falling in love with them anyways early on. But mm-hmm. these three some of these three episodes I think were 
I mean, yesterday's Enterprise is consistently ranked among the top five next generation episodes of all time. Like I know most polls consider it, you know, top three usually. Yeah, I mean, it's got a 9.2 on IMDb out of 10, which is, I mean, that's pretty impressive for anything. Um, and you know, this is the one that uh, Quentin Tarantino said was his favorite that he would want to base a movie off of. I've always personally thought that this would have been amazing as a double length or two part episode. Um, just because the ground that they cover is so huge that maybe giving it more time would have made it even better. Well, that's, you know, and we'll just die. Obviously, if you're listening to one of our prepping for Picard episodes, we're going to assume that you're, you're relatively strong fans of Star Trek. So we're entering spoiler territory. But That's right. Black alert. <laughs> black alert. <laughs> but yesterday's Enterprise really focuses on an alternate reality or an alternate history of Next Generation where instead of peaceful relations between the Federation and Klingons, there's a war. And the way they do the alternate reality, I think, was so very well done. There was no confusion. There was no, like, random fog or who are we? Oh, it's a new universe. They did the alternate history, the alternate reality so well. It was a seamless transition with the set, with the with the cast and crew and just the look. They changed the look. You know, they darkened it a little bit and... You know, instead of captain's log, it was battle log or something like that or whatever, or military log or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was subtle changes in the alternate history aspect. It could have, you're right, it could have been a 90 minute or a two hour episode easily. Mm-hmm. And there are a ton of subtle changes like, you know, they get the belts, uh, which I always love those belts that they get that have like the dual insignia on them. Yeah, I always thought that was cool. Everybody's constantly walking around with a phaser of some kind um, there, you know, there's the bridge actually is different. They've, they've removed Riker and Deanna's chair and instead they've raised it up. So Picard sits on top of actually like stairs. Yep. Um, and then they've added two like kind of side stations that you end up seeing actually on the enterprise E bridge that are off to the sides that are just like manned by other people, staffed by other people. Um, and then, of course, there's the lack of children that Guinan points out. And it's because they don't refer to the Enterprise as um, you know, a galaxy-class starship. They refer to it, to it as a battleship, a battle cruiser. Yeah, and, and that's like even the subtle changes with adding those consoles you mentioned. You know, you can easily myth arc those into your brain. Those are probably just additional weapons, weapon stations because it's war yeah, probably so you're going to not just have one tactical officer firing the weapons you're going to have multiple because they even mm-hmm. identify how the enterprise even in the regular show always had the capability of taking on multiple targets it just very rarely happened and of course we get another treat which is the return of denise crosby as tasha yar which again i know and you know give credit to denise, denise crosby she's always talked about you know, she regrets the separation from Star Trek. You know, it was a good idea at the time, maybe. But she's still active in fan events and active at conventions and active on fan forums. So having her back was, she looked great in the uniform. She was great on screen. It was, and even Wesley Crusher in there as a full ensign. Even, you mm-hmm. know, subtle things like that, that were just, I loved it. I rewatched the episode again today because I had to. <laughs> um yeah, I, I watched all three of these yesterday to kind of prep and, and refresh my memory. And, um, you know, I, it's funny because I didn't think about it 
So I, I made the original list of these top 20 quintessential Picard episodes o- over the summer. And there's a list on our website, heroespodcast.com. And I picked the yesterday's enterprise, not thinking that it, yesterday's enterprise and measure of a man, which we discussed last week, have almost, almost identical concepts in the relationship between Picard and Guinan. Because Guinan in measure of a man talks to Picard and walks him through the concept of realizing the discussion is about slavery. Right. And we had a whole conversation about that last week. And in this one, again, it's Guinan going to Picard talking about how this isn't right. This world isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he has to choose whether or not to believe her. And that's, I personally think the main reason that this episode deserves to be on the list. Yeah, and plus it's got one of the greatest, you know, 80-second openings with Guinan and Worf. Oh, Even the brilliant. relationship building there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there might be some human females that would enjoy your companionship. And, <laughs> you, know, you know, Worf laughing at that. And Guinan never backs down, even to Worf. No, no, she doesn't. And I just, I, I, I always just love that it's prune juice, right? Because, you know, as humans, we kind of, you know, there's, there's some stereotypes about prune juice and the fact that he calls it a warrior's drink. It just makes me kind of chuckle every time. (laughs) And then you have DS9 where everybody hates root beer. So there you go. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) There's a human drink. It's called root beer. Ah, it's vile. But yeah, I mean the, the relationship between Guinan and Picard, and we already had several episodes with that relationship being built. But this was one of those episodes that really, I think, emphasized the chemistry and relationship between the two of them. And it starts to highlight here and get expanded upon every every episode and every season afterwards, really. Mm-hmm. And so, so the reason I put this on the list is because Picard, he is the type of person who, because of his position being captain of the flagship, uh, has to make some very hard decisions from time to time. And in this case, I think this is one of the hardest decisions he's ever had to make because he is now put in a situation where they're at war. They're losing that war. The Klingons are winning. People are dying. The Federation's in a difficult place. And he has to decide whether or not to send a crew of people to their deaths based solely on Guinan's intuition and her feelings of things not being right. And the conversations that they have, I mean, he doesn't just accept it. He challenges Guinan. He pushes Guinan. He argues with her. He's angry. He's frustrated. And yet he still has that trust in her that she, their relationship is incredibly important. And he implicitly trusts where she's coming from. And when you made the comment that the war is going bad, it's not just going bad. It's been going on for 20 years. And I remember Picard has a line that, you know, 40 billion have already lost their lives. I mean, 40, four, zero. That's, you know, what? Six Earths? Like today, mm-hmm. Earth population? That's six Earths. And I remember watching this with some college friends way back when. And after that, my one buddy, Nate, was like, what? Did the Federation even fight? I mean, how in the <laughs> hell do you lose 40 billion people? And well, I mean, when you think about, you know, each planet theoretically has billions of people on it, right? And so this probably means that the Klingon Empire has taken over or destroyed four dozen planets. 
sector. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it's um, it's just identifying that when Picard says the war is going badly, and you know, this kind of lines up a little bit with stuff that you hear in other Next Generation episodes when there's like um, border skirmishes with the Cardassians, and there's even other people in Starfleet. They're like, you know, the Federation's in no place for a war right now. And who the hell knows? Maybe twenty years in the past, we were even far less prepared for a war. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, again, this this kind of shows this this episode do, does a lot because it fleshes out more about the Klingons, even without hardly showing them, and it fleshes out something about the Federation too, and and shows us you know, the Enterprise C, which at this point, the B and the C are the two that we don't know about, right? We end up seeing B in generations. And so, you know, we first we get the the Ambassador class starship, which I personally love. I think it looks great. Um, oh, yeah, we get, I love it too. We, we get the Monster Maroon uniforms, right? Because that's what they were wearing. And we learned that a, a Federation starship sacrificing itself to defend a Klingon outpost against the Romulans was such an honorable act that the Klingon Empire would even consider peace talks. Yeah. I mean, they, it's, you know, Picard makes the comment. He's like, you know, in six months, we may have to consider just complete surrender. Mm-hmm. No negotiation, just actual surrender, which is, you know, something that you, you don't really hear that phrase discussed in Star Trek much. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. Um and so you know, this just – it fleshes out a lot. We do get to see some birds of prey, but there are specific classes of those ships that are more powerful that can take on a galaxy-class uh, starship. And you know, Picard has to show his resolve throughout this episode again and again, trying to, to do the right thing even though he's in a completely different universe than what we're used to. And at the end of the day, even being at war for essentially his entire career um, – he is still the same person. The war hasn't made him a different person. Yeah, he's he's hardened, right? He might be more cynical, but he still is that same being who's trying to do the right thing regardless of what else is happening around him. And you know, like Tasha, for example, when she comes to him towards the end of the episode and explains how she's not supposed to be here, that she's supposed to be dead, and she wants her death to mean something he is willing to again trust Guinan right um but more so than that to give his crew crew member what they truly need as their as themselves right she needs her life to be meaningful and he's willing to not only sacrifice one of his crew members his chief tactical officer but send her to her death because that's what she needs for this situation, he has to be okay with that. He has to push forward with that and accept that this is what she wants. And I don't, I don't know. I just, it's an incredibly difficult position. I mean, it is, but you're right. It references everything back to everything we know about Picard is he listens to his crew around him, his subordinate officers. He listens to his friends and colleagues and he, he listens to their wants, needs and desires usually before making any decision. And even in this episode, he's constantly weighing. He's like, we're sending them back into a hopeless battle. And we're basically sending them back to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Riker doesn't really want to. Jordy kind of even, well, she's an old ship, but we could definitely fix her up and use her. Right. So it's, it's not exactly a uniform decision. 
but it's another example of Picard weighing his options and picking and choosing what he believes is going to be best for the Federation. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one thing that, that some people have griped on for this episode that I think is at least worth mentioning um, is this concept of the Enterprise C avoiding the war. Because uh, for those who are keeping track at home, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, is about the Kittimer Accords and getting that treaty signed, that peace treaty between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. And that would have been a couple of decades before this. No, I mean, that's a good point. But at the same time, I would argue that, you know, Federation relations with the Klingons may be fraying a little bit after after Kittimer and then this being the event that truly rebuilds relationships with the Klingons where the Klingons are like, well, the Federation just sacrificed a ship to fight four warbirds. But the other question is that I always asked is why would an attack by four warbirds on a Klingon outpost, not spark a war between the Romulans and Klingons that that's where my brain goes. So lots of good points there. Um, I actually think your reasoning makes a ton of sense. I hadn't really thought about it at that level because you're right. I mean, they enter this treaty, but both sides are kind of doing it reluctantly. Whereas in this case, maybe it did show the Enterprise C sacrificing itself. Maybe that did show the Klingon Empire who we are and they could respect that for the first time. I mean, hell, next generation, we have what the last three or four seasons constant talk of a new treaty between the Federation and Cardassians. And we see how well that's been going. There's constant, <laughs> there's still constant border skirmishes between the two powers. And mm-hmm. you got the Maquis and then you got the Cardassian striking back. You have the Phoenix, the captain loses his mind and destroys like what? Five Cardassian warships. And you have Miles O'Brien that goes, transfers to DS9 telling everybody, oh, I've seen the horrors of the Cardassians. I understand. So treaties by themselves don't always, you know, the, I hate to say it, you know, the, the Treaty of Versailles after World War I is what led to World War II. So not all treaties end up going well. It's a fair point. Now to your question about why doesn't, doesn't this event cause the Klingon Empire and the Romulan Empire to be at war? And I, my, argue, my answer to that would be, I think they're kind of always at war. They never. That's a good point. Like not like maybe open conflict, like what what you just kind of instantly think of when you hear the term war, but more of just like a constant stalemate of they'll fight each other at random times. They're not allies. They're not friends. I mean, that's why in DS9, it's such a big deal when the Romulans, you know, will or will not join the fight against the Dominion. Yeah, constant the, the constant border skirmishes. And, you know, I guess that makes sense even also because, you know, Bashir makes a comment in DS9 about, you know, Cardassian-Klingon relations. And Garrick's like, ah, our relations with the Klingons have been nothing but amicable. And Bashir's <laughs> like, except for that nebula incident that lasted 18 years. So I'm like, that's a, that's a good point. A minor skirmish. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so anyway... Um, This episode has been talked about a lot over the years. It's one of Star Trek's best. So maybe we should move on to Captain's Holiday because to your point, that's one of the more underrated episodes. And compare and contrast the two, you know, yesterday's Enterprise has got this huge overarching story and et cetera, et cetera. And while Captain's Holiday also does, it's much more personal. It's 
at the end of the day, it's a story about Captain Picard and adventuring on Risa, going on a forced vacation, basically. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so Captain's Holiday is... It's funny because it's kind of like a bottle episode in a way. Um, it's very much just Picard. Hard, you know, anybody else from the Enterprise, you know, crew are they're barely in this episode. They're in the beginning when they're trying to talk him into taking a vacation. But that's really it. Um, then he spends the rest of the time on Riza with Vosh, and Vosh is the main reason I put this episode on the list. So I'm going to start things off by asking you, Greg, how do you feel about Vosh? Uh, I thought the actress was talented, intelligent, beautiful, and the perfect foible for Picard. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I love her in every episode I've seen her in. I loved her in DS9. I thought the way she would kind of challenge Picard also kind of encouraged him. And you can even see even as their relationship between the two of them develops, you can even see Picard kind of have that glimmer in his eye of, man, I've got this whole career dedicated in Starfleet, but I could really see myself with this woman. And you get, you definitely get that impression, even though she, she's obviously a wanderer, but I I thought she was a fantastic addition to the show, especially as a guest star. Completely with you. And what makes her really, really unique is she is one of Picard's few love interests. Like we have Crusher, of course, the will they, won't they of the 90s. Um, But Vash is one of the only other ones that really shows up, especially on the show. And, you know, she shows up two more times, which is also a big deal for this era of television to have a recurring character like that who shows up sporadically. Um. But she is. She's so fun. And she gets to show the viewers who Picard is out of the uniform. Yeah, I mean, because they and they also and for those of those of our listeners out there, you know, and Derek, you've been hearing this for years from me. Something I've always loved about Star Trek and, and TV in general is when people act like real people and not like robots, mm-hmm. which is one of my complaints about Discovery sometimes. Is sometimes the people don't act like people is the the developing relationship between Picard and Bosch, they act like a real couple. You know, they sometimes irritate each other. That's that's what real couples do, is sometimes they get under each other's skin, whether it's on purpose or not. That's what happens in life. It's the, That's reality. And mm-hmm. you see that with Picard, you see that with Vosh, and you see how they both challenge each other, which is, I love that sense of realness between them, because it just adds to what we see on screen. Absolutely. And so like kind of the whole point of this episode is to show who Picard is on a personal level, right? Because we always see him in the uniform and he is Mr. Diplomat, right? He is the, he is the negotiator. He is the peace guy, the explorer, the scientist. And we know know, that he's into archeology span and everything, but, but that's it. We never see him 
on his own in, in a personal element. And so this shows that he isn't, he isn't Riker. Riker wants to go to the beaches. He wants to be with the women, right? He wants, he wants the, the, the standard Island vacation. That's not who Picard is. That's who Riker is. Picard wants challenges constantly. He never doesn't want to be challenged. Even when he's sitting and reading, what was he reading, right? The Odyssey, (laughs) you know, he's not reading small books. He's reading, you know, in-depth, complex literature that goes back in his, you know, centuries. Um, And even then he's kind of bored. He jumps into everything with Vosh because he wants the excitement. He wants the challenge. He wants, he wants to be useful. Well, and that's another reason I, I adored the Vosh, the Vosh character so much is she does challenge Picard because Picard isn't accustomed to dealing with people like her who will constantly challenge him in a personal manner. Professionally, yeah, he's got no problem with that. And, you know, obviously Dr. Crusher and Picard have always had a certain charm and charisma between them. But Vosh brings a different level of chemistry. And that if you look at some of Picard's other love interests in the show, uh, actually from Measure of a Man, the, the judge, you know, she was a past, you know, relationship with Captain Picard. She was a powerful female as well mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. challenged him and kind of, you know, kind of poked at him a little bit which is very similar to Vosh. And it kind of gives you the idea that what you just said is is completely accurate is Picard likes a challenge. He does not want just simplicity in his life. Yeah. And I think you're right about the strong women. He likes women who have intelligence, who have their own sense of confidence and power, who um, don't, don't necessarily just like take his orders and move on. Right. Cause Crusher doesn't either. Right. Crusher will, of, of course, follow orders, you know, but she challenges him constantly. She's willing to push him. She's willing to to even tease him into taking care of himself like she does at the beginning of the episode. Vosh isn't really any different. She's trying to trick him. She's trying to pull a fast one. And Picard likes that he has to work for it. He has to figure out what the mystery is. He has to outthink her. They're just both ch- constantly trying to outthink the other. And that's, I think that back and forth is really important. Oh yeah. And that's, I agree with that. He, the confidence he sees and what he wants in a companion is the same thing he basically expects from his officers and in his professional life is strong, confident people. And in his personal life, he wants to be around strong, confident people that also challenge him. And Vosh, you know, you know, I love him that a few, you know, in a season or two later, we get her in the, the famous Robin Hood episode. But this episode with her, and yeah, there's a greater plot about the about the little archaeological device and the aliens from the future and all this jazz. But those are really almost a, a B plot. The A plot is the relationship, at least to me, is the relationship building between Bosch and Picard. Something that until this time, we never really got to explore, experience with Picard. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like Pulp Fiction, right? The Taksu Tut is just the briefcase. Right. Yeah, and exactly. the Vorgons are just pushing the story along. That's all that that is. It's just a means. It's the mechanic that's used to push Picard and Vosh together. Yeah. It's, you know? it's the proverbial Chekhov's rifle. You, you introduced <laughs> it and it's part of the plot, but you don't want to focus on it. 
I prefer Chekhov's phaser, but you know, okay. whatever. Chekhov's phaser. You're right. I should have, uh, I need to update my, my language skills for Star Trek, of course. <laughs> um, now, I, as, as we talk about this, we kind of, we, we did skip over one part I, I wanted to talk about, which is kind of the sexuality of Picard a little bit, which is a little uh, funny to, to think about, but uh, Riker <laughs> um, plays a little prank on his captain. And that is by asking Picard to pick him up a souvenir, a Horgon uh, from Ryza. And it turns out that the Horgon is a symbol of sexuality. And Picard is basically asked if he seeks Jamar Haron, which I am assuming is some type of sexual activity. Yeah, because, you know, the culture on Ryza is very open and very sexual and if you're displaying that statue, I took it as essentially you are willing to pursue some sort of physical intimacy with somebody else. Exactly. And we see, first off, how funny Riker thinks that is. Uh, how not funny uh, Diana thinks it is. Um, and how uncomfortable it makes Picard later when he discovers what Riker has done. Um, <laughs> yeah, you get, you get the nice little interaction with them at the end of the episode about that. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, Picard is a very private man. He's private about most of his life. I mean, in generations, when we learn, you know, a, a, about what happened to his family, the only other time we were ever really introduced to them or he discusses them is in the season four episode, Family, when he goes home after being liberated from the Borg. That's it. Otherwise, we don't hear anything about his family. We He doesn't talk about his brother. He doesn't talk about his nephew. He doesn't talk about past relationships or, you know, whether or not he wants to have children. That doesn't come, I mean, it comes up in generations, of course, but that's way later. At this point, we know so little about his personal life. Everything is so guarded. And what are his interests? Oh, he likes archaeology. Oh, okay. But, but what are his passions, right? And so the idea of his sexual interest being, I guess, not necessarily public, but being out there in front of strangers, he is just incredibly uncomfortable by that. Yeah, he is. And, you know, he doesn't take it out on Riker at the end, but he definitely subtly throws a little jab at him. Because mm -hmm. you're right, he is a very, my personal life is personal and private for a reason, because he... He, I think he truly respects the position of captain and he doesn't want to involve people in his personal life unless he deems it something important. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of the crux of the episode though, is we learn more about Picard's personal life, what he's like in a relationship, you know, with the type of woman that he finds attractive, that he finds interest in, um, and I, I think that's why this episode is really underrated because it it's a very much a character episode and there isn't a ton of massive consequential stuff. I mean, yeah, the Tuxu, the Tuxu Tot is, uh, you know, a, very dangerous, right? But it never really comes into play because Picard's kind of one step ahead, it turns out, the entire time. Yeah, and like like we were talking about earlier, it's the talks we taught as part of the plot and part of the part of these the discussion. 
I mean, you even have the little goofy Ferengi, who I think was the same actor that goes on to play Rom later on. It is. It's true. So, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I watched these three episodes that we're talking about with uh, with Ray, who was our guest host for quite some time. And she had never seen these three. Um, so I was really excited to show them to her. And when we started this one and you see Sovak, she's like, wait, is that Rom? Because we're also watching DS9 separately, like actually like in order. Um, and I was like, uh, sort of, <laughs> cause I didn't want to like, like stop the episode <laughs> and go into too much detail, but you're totally right. Isn't that great? It is. And like, you know, he's, he's part of the plot and stuff happens, but he's just, he's just another character who's there. It's just all there to drive Picard and Vosh into their, their, you know, romantic endeavors. And, you know, I always loved about this episode, the little end when, you know, they're asking Picard when he returns, oh, you know, did you enjoy your trip? And he's like, uh-huh. And were you able to relax and enjoy yourself? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> suddenly, I mean, I like that because that's a very human thing. And, you know, two attractive people met each other on a beach planet and had fun. I mean, that's that's humans. I mean, that's like a human thing. Absolutely. That, Riker, of course, just finishes things off with, I knew he'd have a good time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And it's just so great. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, some, some interesting facts about this episode. Uh, so Ira Stephen Bear wrote this one and not only did he write it, this is the first one he wrote by himself, like on his own was I did not, his concept. Yeah. I did not realize that. he had, uh, collaborated on yesterday's enterprise, but this one was really his. And so, um, you know, that's really cool, uh, that a lot of people probably didn't know which is kind of a fun, fun little thing. Um, there we go. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, Max playing Sovak and Rom, Rom is just kind of funny because a lot of Ferengi in TNG end up playing different Ferengi later. Like even Armin plays a different Ferengi on TNG early on. Yeah. I think it just takes a unique person willing to wear that kind of level of makeup for a long time and prosthetics. I think that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, I mean, hell, if, if Discovery, if you know Discovery crew or Picard crew, if you want, Derek and I will dress up as Ferengi. I, I'm, <laughs> I'll fully support that. <laughs> it is a lot of work, though. It's definitely a lot of work. But uh, do you want to move on to our third and final episode? Yeah, which is uh, Sarek. And again, if you think about these three episodes, you have two relatively powerful, emotional, story-based episodes sandwiching the little the little bubble episode almost of Picard and Bosch and Sarek is I think a very very powerful emotional episode and it shows before we even dive into the plot this is another episode that simply shows Picard's willingness to sacrifice himself somewhat a, a lot actually sacrifice himself a lot for the good of those around him yeah I, I personally think this has some of Patrick Stewart's best work in it um especially at the, you know, not jumping too far ahead, right? But the end of the episode in particular. So this episode is on my list for two reasons. One is his performance at the end, because I think it shows what kind of actor Patrick Stewart is um, and what that means he can bring to the Picard show. And first and second uh, would be how he views, how the Picard character views a person like Sarek um how 
Picard, even though he's the captain of the flagship of the Federation, he still is humbled by impressive, successful, uh, you know, good people like Sarek. You know, Sarek's over 200 years old in this. And Picard mentions how Sarek basically helped shape the entire Federation and how honored he is to have him on his ship, to be able to speak with him. And then at the end, to be able to mind meld, you know, there's something Picard says early on in the episode about how he wants to, to talk with Sarek and hear stories and pick his brain about the things he's been able to accomplish in his life. And it's mirrored by the end of the episode where Picard literally gets to know everything Sarek has ever done. Yeah, he gets to know everything he's ever done, which also plays into later on episodes unification when they when Leonard Nimoy returns. This this episode is even referenced in those two episodes like 3 seasons later. So this episode while it may have only been well, you know, a glimpse has ramifications for the future and you don't realize it when you're watching. Mm-hmm. It. it it just kind of helps show what Picard finds impressive, what he strives to be, what his goals are, who his role models are, right? His role models are people like Sarek, people who are honorable, who are highly intelligent and accomplished. And if, if anything, Picard just wants to be able to get just some piece of knowledge from those people to, to better himself, to make himself a better person and a better captain. Yeah, absolutely. And it's another reference to while he's making himself better, he's truly looking out for what he believes is going to be an important success for the Federation. And that kind of is, even in real life, that's always been important for leaders, especially in, in, a, in a military style organization. It's important for leaders to show a willingness to, to be sacrificial. Mm-hmm. And this is another example of that because there's even like hints and suggestions that like, look, we don't, you know, okay, plot, you know, you know, as, as we, uh, spoilers, as we start talking about this, basically Sarek's got, you know, what is it? Bendai syndrome. Correct. Yep. And he's starting to lose control of his capabilities to hold his emotions in. And there's a huge conference coming up with, with a new species and his, his emotional instability is so bad. It's starting to impact the crew. And, you know, Picard offers to, do a mind meld to try to help stabilize them. And even, you know, there's people on the ship. They're like, ah, this, this may not be a good idea. You know, we don't, we don't know what kind of impact this is going to have on you because of how powerful Vulcan emotions are. And that's just that level of sacrifice is something you see stereotypically from captains and Picard. Just not only do you see it in Picard, I mean, he, or does he say it, but he lives it. Mm -hmm. Well, and even just leading up to the point where he can offer to be part of the mind meld, he has to confront Sarek. He has to make Sarek confront himself. He has to get through the two aides and Sarek's wife and get through Sarek's pride and ego, as even as he is a Vulcan, and convince this man of his problem. And this is coming from Picard's perspective of essentially idolizing Sarek. You know, and not just idolizing Sarek, but risking his own career because if Sarek is insulted by this Picard could end up being blackballed out of Starfleet. 
Yeah, because even at this point, the Vulcans are still hugely politically influential with Starfleet Command and Starfleet itself. They're one of the founding members of the Federation. You know, all it takes is your captain won't leave our ambassador alone while our ambassador is sick for Picard to be off the Enterprise, basically. Mm-hmm. And so for the, that character, for the Picard character to have to go to Sarek's quarters and push the issue and continue to push the issue as you know, people throw in roadblocks and try and come up with explanations of why everything's you know, fine because everyone's trying to protect Sarek. The argument that the two of them have, you know, it, it's, it's a very intense argument and Picard has to call him out. That takes a certain level of of confidence and conviction to push through those those personal concerns those personal feelings again to do the right thing and it's not just the right thing for himself that's not even just the right thing for his mission it's the right thing for Sarek yeah helping him and his the people around him accept his illness and you know understand that he's not the same man he was a hundred years or 50 years before and that it's okay for people to get sick. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to be challenged and try to surpass. And by the way, you have people around you willing to help you. Absolutely. And I don't want to downplay how incredible of a performance Mark Leonard puts in here. Um, You know, he of course had been playing this character for a very long time. Uh, starting in you know, Journey to Babel and TOS. But his performance here, at least for me, I think is his best work. He is so powerful in these scenes of that di- the dynamic of being composed and emotionally controlled to these intense outbursts of anger and frustration and balancing them is – and going back and forth. It's just – it's very impressive and I, I don't want to downplay how great of a job he did. Oh no! And again, even even the the acting capability of the rest of the crew when they're having their own emotional breakdowns. You know, at the one point, you know, Jordy and Wesley Crusher going at it, for example. I mean, it's two personality traits we don't typically see from them. And he actually, this episode gets to let people act in a way that they typically don't get to do. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. There's there is some fun arguments in between, and even just seeing. Picard and Riker argue on the bridge in front of data. Like they never shouted each other like that. So that must've been interesting to film. Yeah. Interesting to film on, you know, even the, I can't remember what there's a syndrome for it or something. When you get embarrassed for cast for fake fictional characters, it's almost like embarrassing. I get embarrassed watching them act that way. Cause that's not how they're supposed to be. That's not the Picard and company that we know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, and, you know, of course, they, they do the mind meld and Picard has to deal with these emotions. And it's an, an, an incredible scene uh, with basically just him and Crusher. Crusher is there to, of course, as the doctor, make sure that he's you know going to be OK, uh, but also as more than a friend. Right. Picard, as we talked about in, in Captain's Holiday, is a very reserved and private person, but he has to basically throw all of that away and be completely vulnerable and completely raw. And Crusher is the person he trusts to be there for that. And I'm not sure that Picard could give somebody a better or higher compliment than that. Yeah, exactly. It's just 
showing the relationship building with him and her and the rest of the cast and crew. But again, I like some, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. It, this is one of Picard's like heroes, Sarek. This is somebody that he has admired and looked up to in his professional career for quite some time. And not only does he, is he willing to sacrifice part of his mental sanity and such, uh, he he does it not just for the Federation, but also for for a hero that he looks up to, and that's something that's something that's very human for most people today. But there's always that that one hero we would be willing to do something for, but you never know if you actually will. Well, Picard actually would, and he does. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think it must be have been very difficult for Picard to go through with that, you know. Um... But uh, you know one one of the my favorite lines from the episode though is is Sarek's line, um, you know what is necessary is never unwise, and um, I like that Sarek is starting to come to terms with his condition and realizes the logic in confronting it. That must have been incredibly difficult for him as well. I mean, yes, he's composed because he's, he's a Vulcan, but inside he had to deal with that. He had to convince himself that that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that's something, again, it's another part of the Vulcan psyche that we don't get to explore that much. This is, a few, this is one of the few episodes that really emphasizes the Vulcan level of emotions and their level of privacy that they have. And breaching that privacy is not easy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all I have to say on the episode. What about you? Yeah, I think so as well. I, I think these three episodes we see, we see different parts of Picard's character being, being built and built up over and shown on screen. But at the end of the day, it's the same Picard in every episode. Mm-hmm. And you just get to see different highlights of his individual character levels and his emotions and his personality and his interests, which I love. Like I said, you, you all know I'm a huge character driven, not just story driven. And I think these are glimpses, not just to P- Patrick Stewart as an actor, but glimpses to what we could see in the Picard show if they let us do it. And I don't, yeah, some of the Picard, some of the Picard show glimpses are combat heavy and Jerry Ryan using a phaser rifle on people. But, you know, you always show the exciting stuff on trailers. So these episodes really emphasize what we can see when Patrick Stewart, like you've been saying for years, he's an actor first. He's a stage actor. He's a Shakespearean actor. So he can act when he really, really mm-hmm. needs to. Absolutely. Um, okay. So next week we move on to season four of TNG. We are actually going to cover both parts of the best of both worlds, including the season three finale. Um, and we're also going to cover family. So it'll basically be like three episodes back to back there. And we are also going to cover the drum head, which is a towards the end. It's episode 21 of season four. So that's what we're going to cover next week for prepping for Picard, the best of both worlds, part one and two family and the drum head. Um, but I think that's all I've got for us today. Yeah, that's all I got. So uh hope everybody's enjoyed now that we're back to another episode of Red Shirts and Runabouts were part of the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us on, you can actually just Google Red Shirts and Runabouts or go to our website at heroespodcast.com and you can find Red Shirts and Runabouts on there. 
but we're also pretty active on Facebook and Twitter. Derek mentioned the Red Shirts and Runabouts fan group we have on Facebook. You can search that under Facebook groups, Red Shirts and Runabouts. But we're also extremely active on Twitter. Uh, And you can also interact with us directly if you would like. Derek, how can people find you on Twitter if they're interested? Well, I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter. So please come talk to me there. I tweet you know, a good amount. I like to talk to people, not just about Trek either. I'm just a total overall nerd. I'll talk superheroes. I'll talk video games. Just come hang out with me out there. Yeah. And Derek's absolutely right. He'll talk to you. We, we all will. We'll talk to you about any topic, especially when it's related to gaming, movies, comics, sci-fi, you name it. Uh, you can find me at the underscore bittersteel on Twitter. Uh, you'll you'll recognize my name. Just I actually just have in my name from Red Shirts and Runabouts. So feel free to track us down, you know, on Facebook or find the podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps. And we will be back next week for some more prepping for Picard. And we've got a lot of content coming up before the Picard series starts in January. So we thank you all for sticking around and we will talk to you soon. 